Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Well, Bukayo Saka has the world at his feet, a 21-year-old whose star continues to rise in tandem with that of his boyhood club. Already a fully-fledged England international and a local star draped in the Arsenal number 7, evoking memories of David Rocastle before him. If Arsenal are to end a 19-year wait for a Premier League title this year and return to Europe's top table, the message is clear, protect Bukayo Saka at all costs. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. He's fine, obviously. He got kicked quite a lot again, but uh, he's going to have to deal with that. Not every week, but every three days. And sometimes in training as well, because it's his game. Saka tries one. Here he goes. And he scores! Bukayo Saka sends Edison the wrong way. Confident, cool, and Arsenal level. Look at the top players in the world. They play 70 matches every three days and make the difference and win the game. If you want to be at the top, you have to be able to do that. And if we start to put something different in the mind of our young players, I think we are making a huge mistake. It's great because it's from the academy and it's, it's Arsenal through and through. But people do not realize the pressure of being the one that's going to make it. But what the fans really want to know is can you spell nauseous? N A U S E O U S. You know what I love as well is that you. Coming through the academy like you have, you know, blasting onto the scene. Somebody that loved the club, somebody that's wearing the number seven. And the fans, you wearing that shirt and the fans singing his name and you being as integral to us as you are now, it's amazing. Honestly, I can't even tell you. So with us for this one. The Athletics' Adam Crafton and Arsenal correspondent Amy Lawrence. Just before we talk, Bakayo Saka, uh, just talk to me, Amy, about uh, this special podcast you've done, which which has involved you going undercover. <laughs> well, I mean, that sounds very glamorous, doesn't it? Uh, well, um, it does, yeah. We, we were uh, able to infiltrate, if that's a better choice of word, or spend the day with the Ashburton Army, who anybody who's watched Arsenal this season, particularly in the stadium, will probably have noticed there's a, a a little gang. They sort of ultra-style themselves a bit on that culture of European football where they grand plans for TIFOs and uh, all sorts of stuff. But but the sense of being not just regular fans, but like mega fans, you know. If you're going to be involved in Ashburton Army, it's like the law that you sing for 90 minutes. It's It's... You're not really allowed to take a breath. There's a guy down the front who's one of the leaders of, of the group who doesn't watch the game like you see quite often in sort of overseas matches in similar types of groups. Uh, he spends his whole time with his back turned to the match, 
urging more and more louder, keep going one more time, you know, getting this thing going. They've got their drum and they they make a heck of a noise considering it's not the biggest allocation. They have a hundred seats at the front of the clock and high at uh, the Emirates. It's definitely been a factor behind this kind of explosion of uh, fervor and passion and joy that has, I would say, almost been most noticeable in a consistent basis for the first time at the Emirates since they moved from Highbury. And you could argue that, uh, you know, it's easy to do that when the team's doing well, but I think these guys, their raison d'etre is, you know, good, bad or indifferent. You are 100% committed to your club and you show that uh, without any conditions. Um, so spending the day with them, we met in the pub, we walked down to the ground with them, they have this special march, goes through the tunnel and the acoustics all go crazy and then into the ground and we were were with them um, just to see how it felt. And there's a, a fantastic new modern technique called binaural uh, recording, which is very immersive and it makes you feel like you're actually there the way that they kind of record it in Dolby surround sound or whatever. It's, it's not quite like being in this in a <laughs> cinema, but it's... It, it, it's a different kind of listening experience, so oh. I hope people enjoy it. What, what, what's the what's the kind of age demographic of the, Good of the group? Good uh, question. The the youngest are older teenagers, let's say. Um, although I know plenty of younger teenagers who are absolutely desperate <laughs> to, get, to get involved. Yeah. Uh, and the oldest, I'd say, uh, is around about fifty. Um, it's obviously predominantly male, as you might expect. But it is also uh, a bit more diverse than you might expect. Obviously, a lot of ultra groups on the continent and so on are have a bit of a reputation yeah. for being overwhelmingly white. Um, but there's definitely a more of a diverse crowd and some different nationalities in there. So they're not kind of um, they don't you know their their religion is Arsenal uh, and that's their creed. And I, I think the rest of it doesn't really matter. Um, we will play a little bit of uh, Amy's uh, podcast at the end of this podcast and then you'll be able to get that from all your usual uh, podcast places. Let's turn to Bukayo Saka then. Uh, David Ornstein on Thursday broke the news that he is staying at Arsenal so we can get all the detail uh, from the man himself, i.e. Ornstein, not Saka. <laughs> well, Thursday the 23rd of February 2023 might not mean that much to many of us but it is particularly important in this case because that was the day when Arsenal finally reached an agreement in principle with Bukayo Saka, his representatives, over a new long-term contract. To our knowledge, it hasn't been signed yet. That may take some time. They have to finalise, complete and announce it. But critically, it is now in place and it secures the future of really Arsenal's star player. We don't know the exact duration. I expect it to be well in excess of four years. His last deal was signed in 2020, took him through to 2023, but there was an option to extend that by 12 months to the summer of 2024. Arsenal activated that option, but this fresh term supersedes it. It's likely to make him Arsenal's best paid player. It also changes the narrative at Arsenal, which is a club who were used to losing their best players for so long, infamously, well, not anymore, because Saka's renewal follows that of Gabriel Martinelli, and they now hope to do the same with William Saliba. This really is a tribute to Mikel Arteta, the manager who has cultivated this competitive, happy squad environment that is clearly moving in the right direction. 
and also Arsenal's technical director, Edu, who is overseeing the sporting operation. And the turnaround has been quite significant under his watch. So too the ownership, the Kroenke family, who set the tone really from the top down. They came in for such criticism for so many years, but they appear to be on to a good thing now. So busy times at the Emirates Stadium, on and off the pitch. But the really good and significant news is that Bakayo Saka is there to stay. I'll bring Amy in on this for her personal reaction in, in just a second as an Arsenal fan. But just an overview for the club, Adam. Uh, it feels important, this. It, it feels like a seismic moment, actually. Absolutely, because there have been some whispers over the past couple of years. Maybe Manchester City will have a go. I'm sure, I mean, any club in Europe would want Bukayo Saka um, at the moment. I think he's that good. I remember when he first started coming through and and sometimes with these kind of young wingers, they can look good in bad teams because they're a bit fearless and they have a go and they'll try a trick. I remember when, you know, when Adnan Yanazai came through at Manchester United, everyone was very excited about him because he was brave in an underperforming team. And when Saka first came through, I wondered whether, is he really that good or is the team he's in just kind of floating a bit and he's this bit of excitement to pin yourself to. But every time I watch him, I'm kind of surprised. I kind of keep being surprised by how good he is. I never really see him have a bad game. Um, I think it dawned on everyone really, maybe everyone outside of Arsenal, Amy might say, during the Euros for England last year when he came into to, to the team kind of midway through the tournament and, and really, really impressed. And also just his response, and I know this is what people will always go to with Saka, but the response to missing that penalty from him, you know, the pressure that, that he was under, the abuse that he received, it was just incredibly... I, I, don't, I don't think brave is necessarily the right word because you shouldn't have to be... It wouldn't be wrong to not be brave in that situation. You shouldn't have to face it. But just the, the, the manner in which he's responded has just been so impressive. I don't know a fan of a rival club that, don't, that, that actually dislikes him. You know, often you get with players at rival clubs or, you know, this X, Y, Z about a player. Everyone loves Bukayo Saka. You know, even, you know, I saw him rip my team apart at the Emirates about six weeks ago. It's the only bad game Luke Shaw's had this season, I would probably say. And Bukayo Saka absolutely tore him to pieces for an afternoon. Uh, uh, but he's just, he's great to watch. He's getting better. He's scoring goals from the wing, which I associate with the best Arsenal teams. You know, when you think of Freddie Jumberg and Robert Pires, so... Yeah, it was essential that they tied him down. But why would you want to leave at the moment? Well, that that's one question, isn't it, Amy? I mean, the other question is, Arsenal have been in this position with some of their stars before. And as Adam has said, they, they have gone. And as you wrote, it, it does feel like a, a sliding doors moment. Yeah, I think I think it does. Um, and for all the reasons that Adam mentioned, you know, just from a pure, pure footballing point of view, you know, he is hugely symbolic of this renaissance for Arsenal. But also from a personal point of view, um, he does have this uh, this very warm and engaging kind of feeling that he engenders everywhere he goes. And I think, you not I noticed it again during the Euros when it was more what other England players were saying about him. Yeah. And I found myself a little surprised by that. Why would they suddenly be so impressed by this what, 18 year old, I think he might have been at the time, coming in um, 
he's a very easygoing, gentle, humble guy, incredibly humble. And yet he, he has this capacity to make everyone around him feel better and play better. Uh, I think he, and, and his consistency is something that I found remarkable. I was fortunate enough to be at what I'd say was probably his breakthrough match. Um, Arsenal had a Europa League game in uh, at Eintracht Frankfurt when Emery was uh, around and he came in and scored and assisted twice. I think the, uh, Arsenal got three goals that day and he was involved in all of them. And Obama Yang, who was the main man at the time, went and got, pulled him over and put his arm around him, was pointing at him as if to say, look at this guy. And we spoke to him afterwards and even then he was just so calm and uh, well-mannered and balanced. And you could see he was someone that had the ingredients psychologically as well as, um, you know, in terms of football brains and football talent. And I think what was astonishing is how whatever the hur- the next hurdle, you know, you start off coming in and playing maybe League Cup games and Europa League games. Then you're in a Premier League team and he was brilliant. Then you're playing for England. He's been brilliant. Then the team's getting better in the top of the league. He's been brilliant. He's responded to a setback like that, missing that penalty. He's been brilliant. And I find at times uh, watching him, he's he obviously got this versatility where he's played in so many different positions, particularly early on, but he's made that kind of yeah. right wing spot to one. But in, in certain games where he's not getting the ball so much because the way Arsenal play, the, the wide forwards really hug the touchline. I found myself thinking there's got to be a way of getting him more involved like all the time because whenever he's on the ball, there's trouble for the opposition. You know, he is incredibly difficult to handle. And I think that he has this toughness that people will maybe underestimate, but a physical toughness that if he does get kicked and he does get double marks, which is happening a lot, he doesn't tend to let it affect his game. There is a different argument about how long that is reasonably mm. something that can, can go on for. But so far, he's handled quite tricky treatment with um, with quite an impressive temperament. When you talk about how long that can go on for, do you mean how much he can keep getting clumped by people before something actually happens. Um, he's the most fouled Arsenal player. He's actually the, no, the ninth most fouled player in the league, but he's the most fouled player at Arsenal. I don't know enough about physiology um, to know whether kind of repetitive kicks We've and just fouls. booked the wrong guest, Amy. <laughs> no, Blah, I would, honestly. I would, I, I would be interested if someone could say, actually, if you're getting kicked every week, then this might happen or that might happen or the percentage chance of this happening is more. But quite apart from how often he's getting fouled, and, and of course those fouls have to be called, uh, and there's quite a few that don't get um, noticed that get waved away, so they're not obviously included in the stats. But the eye test, you don't need to be a you know data genius. The eye test, if you watch Arsenal every game, is that this boy is getting whacked again <laughs> yeah. and again and again. And they're targeting ankles because, you know, that's seen as a, a, a weak spot, which is doesn't make me feel too comfortable. Uh, you wouldn't like to think of a, a, an opposition player or manager actually targeting a particular spot of a, an opposition player, but it doesn't look that way. He takes a lot of punishment there. Um I'm not making a comparison in terms of football because 
Maradona is Maradona. But if you watch old videos of Maradona in Serie A, when defenders were like butchers, you know, and that was allowed, (laughs) he was incredible in the way that he would just get absolutely smashed and just get up and go again and get smashed again and get up and go again. And there's something about Saka. He has an element of that in him. But I think protection is imperative because he's a talented boy and nobody should be getting targeted. It doesn't take long. Arsenal fans with long memories have very, very bitter feelings about very serious injuries that afflicted some of their talented players in the past. Terrible leg breaks, seasons derailed. You know, you hope it won't come to anything like that, but all you need to do is mistime something and be a little bit too aggressive. There's a law of averages thing Mm. going on. If you're getting fouled X times per game with force, you know, you're doing quite well if you're getting up every time and carrying on. How do teams tend to go about it? Because clearly this has become a big conversation amongst Arsenal fans and perhaps with the manager as well, I think is probably concerned about it as well to a certain extent. How do teams tend to go about it? Will they have more than one player doing sort of a couple of early fouls on him? How do they, what, What's the tactics that, that have been used? I mean, it's a, it's a variation. Sometimes it's the classic rotational fouling. Sometimes there's just doubling up. Um, but I mean, there are quite a lot of examples of just this leniency from referees yeah. that I think where, you know, he might be fouled four or five times and there's not a word said until the fifth or sixth. And then, of course, in classic fan style, people go, oh, the first time that yeah. an Arsenal player goes anywhere near anyone else, they get a yellow card. And there's that consistency element that was always fuel to the fire when people are looking at it emotionally. Um, but there's also quite a handful of penalty incidents that I know there was one the other day and you could debate, I think Ian Wright was quite prominent saying that that was preposterous decision. Um, what more does he need to see to see that that's a penalty derm? It's ridiculous, these decisions. Absolute pitiful decision that was. For example, there was one last year that really stands out where MacArthur of Crystal Palace, if you see the clip, he just, it's as if he wants to kick the ball into next Tuesday, but he just kicks the back of MacArthur. He's nowhere near the ball. He just goes full force, whacking straight through the back of Saka's uh, calves. And there was another one where I think Tyrone Mings of Aston Villa gets hold of him and like rugby tackles or throws him to the ground. Nothing. I mean, these are not dangerous. Well, so dangerous fouls in terms of serious injury. But it just uh, extends that narrative that people can do things to Saka and it, you know, gets waved away. Uh, Do you think this is... um... And I'm not disputing Amy's account at all. <laughs> but, but but are you aware of this, Adam, say, as much as somebody as ingrained in Arsenal as, as Amy? I mean, if you if you were to ask me who seems to get clattered more than anybody else in the Premier League, I would say Jack Grealish. And actually, he is top of that list. The, the percent... And I don't know whether it's because of his style or how he's looked or, uh, you know, the... the the perception is that he gets clattered more than anybody else. Or I, that, that's my, yeah, so do, yeah, do, I, do you, do you see that with Saka? I certainly see it. You know, when you were just asking that question, the two names that instinctively came to my mind were Grealish and Wilfred Zaha, which is the one, you know, Crystal Palace fans and journalists who cover the club mm. have, have really, really made sure that that's known. And the data bears that out as well. 
I tried to think, I think partly because quite a few Arsenal games recently have been three o'clock kickoffs on a Saturday. So I've actually just not seen 90 minutes of Arsenal as often as I would like to in recent weeks. Um, maybe that's all the Everton one where they just didn't have a good day. But I can understand why Arsenal as a club and also as a fan base would be would, would want this discussion to gain more traction. Because if you're watching your team every week and you start to feel that way, then even the weeks where it is only one or two, you start to feel like it's all part of a strategy and it builds into a real narrative. And that's kind of the way that that, that fandom works. But it also, you know, if he's the if he's the most fouled Arsenal player, then that's clearly the fact. I think there was a point in November, I was just reading back sometimes I do research for these podcasts. Um, do you? Re- <laughs> um, don't just talk off off the roof. Um, I was reading back a piece we did in November where actually Gabby Jesus, before his injury, had been fouled, I think, double the amount of times of Saka by sort of mid-November. Mm. Um, and I th- so, so I, th- I think that's an interesting, th- interesting thing. I think it's also a reality that if you start to emerge as the best player in the best team, teams are going to try and find a way to stop you. And I'm not saying that's right or that's wrong, but is it is it fair to say it's almost priced in as part of being a great player that you're going to have to deal with different approaches? You know, it's something we saw with Cristiano Ronaldo when, when he was younger or Lionel Messi or Wayne Rooney at certain times. Like, if they can't stop you by fair means, they're going to try and stop you by other means. I mean, we saw it most brutally with Saka in the Euros final where... Kialili just grabbed him um, by the, by the neck almost and took him down. I don't think that kind of thing's happening. I do think it's a question for football more generally. Like, how do you deal with rotational fouling? It's not in the rule books, really. You know, if if one player does a foul, then another player does a foul, then another one does. There, were, there was one a few years ago when Eden Hazard was at Chelsea, and I think this is probably a, a decent comparison, yeah. where. Uh, Jose Mourinho's Manchester United were playing against Hazard. I think it was an FA Cup game, and they basically did they tasty for the full yes, first they did, half. Yeah. Every yes. time Hazard got the ball, someone just took him out, and each time it would be a different player. And it reached the point where the referee actually said, "Right, the, whoever it is, the next one is getting booked." And it happened to be a player. I think it was Ander Herrera, who actually had barely touched Hazard for the rest yeah. of the game. Yeah, and he got a second yellow card because of it. Now. That's not in the rule books, but I think it's one of those things that if, like it became with Hazard, like it became with Grealish, like it became with Zaha, if Arsenal as a club, through press conferences and things like that, start to make enough of a deal out of it, it is the sort of thing that might start happening. You know, Arsenal are are aware of how they're dealing with this, and I think Arteta has been careful not to talk about it too much. Yeah, but if you're asking how it used to be when he was 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, I don't think it's very different. Wingers and talented players get kicked, get fouled uh, and get demand to win games. And um, and that's a task that he has, that he's rolling the team. Uh, Saka, certainly from the start, didn't say a lot. And then there was a game at Aston Villa where Steven Gerrard took offence to the fact that Saka had kind of complained and was a bit like, look at me, you know, steal throughout my hips and my knees it's a man's game and bloody bloody blah which I'm not sure is necessarily the most um modern uh response yes. that, that, yes. you know that you could could look for but he'd say something else yes. about his own player wouldn't he in that situation <laughs> he, he, maybe but the point is I think that you know uh, Arsenal and Saka are aware of 
how to handle it. And I have noticed Saka being a bit more demonstrative in recent weeks in trying to, you know, appeal to referees and point things out um, rather than just taking it. And also Mikel Arteta, I think he doesn't want to make it into too much of a an emotional thing either. I mean, from a technical point of view, I think he's worked with Saka specifically on things like body shape and when he picks up the ball and where his teammates pass him the ball to try and give it to him in a position where he's slightly less likely to be clattered, um, which is interesting on one level. But also, I remember, um, you, you know, you talk about the Messi, Ronaldo and so on, best players around getting um, their fair share all through their career. And not so long ago, Arteta said something about Saka where he was basically challenging him and saying if you you know I think people are talking about resting him you know you're going to give this guy a rest etc etc and he was like look the best players in the world have been playing 75 games a year for you know 15-20 years and scoring X numbers of goals and this that the other and there was a bit of a shrug in that if you want to be that good then you get on with it This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Let's talk about the man himself and the relationship between Saka and the Arsenal fans and 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 just how important that is between certain players and their fans whatever club they they're playing for Ian Wright in our intro alluded to the similarities between Rowcastle and Saka and it doesn't get more emotional than that actually does it no, Amy not certainly not for Ian Wright mm. um it, you know, just even thinking or mentioning the name of Dave Rocastle tends to bring Ian Wright to tears. And a lot of uh, Arsenal fans are old enough to remember um, this greatness. I think when Wrighty talks about being, uh, was it burdened with glorious purpose? Is that the correct phrase? Which he's spoken about with Saka. You could say the same thing about Rocky. He, he had that in him as well. And... Um, the fact they play the same position, they have the name, same shirt number. Uh, they're both sort of young black guys from London who joined the club at a very young age and came through and became symbolic of their generation uh, and a kind of 
gifted bravery that they played with. Um, they shared, and also both happened happen to be supremely lovely human beings, mm. which helps. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I can see why that comparison springs to mind. You know, players do come and go through clubs, and this is why this signing, if he, you know, gets this new contract uh, with his signature on it as quickly as possible, means so much because he is above all other players at the club the one that is the biggest symbol of this regeneration at Arsenal. Would it? Would he have been the one, Amy, out of all of them, every single player in that first team squad? that if he had left, the wailing would have been the loudest? Yes, I think almost definitely. That fear of, as Adam was mentioning, a, you know, a Man City um, just having too much money and too many promises of uh, probably a, a more direct or guaranteed pathway to silverware. You know, uh, um, Arsenal are giving it their best shot, but they're obviously not at Manchester City's level of consistency for for silverware and uh, Champions League uh, appearances year on year, uh, as Arsenal have been in the last, you know, five, ten years. So a different kind of person could have been persuaded. I think that's the bottom line. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, I look at... He's also young enough that if he does have some dream within him to go and play... Maybe not for a Man City, but for a Barcelona or a Real Madrid in years to come. Then he's young enough to to go and do that at, at the right time for him. Um, you know, it's a bit like you know people were saying when Mbappe decided to stay another couple of years at PSG. It's it's, it's for now, right? It's in much the same way as Haaland signed for Man City. It's it's. I, I think I think I. I I don't think any of these players will be one club players in the way that we maybe imagined. 20, 25 years ago. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Bukayo, maybe that is what Bukayo Saka wants, but certainly he doesn't have to do it now when his team are top of the league. They're definitely going to be in the Champions League next season. Um, I think this team will get better. I also don't think they'll probably have a better chance of winning the league than what they currently have this time around. I think it'll be really difficult next season just because I think Man City are going to go out and spend a fortune this summer and you've got kind of Man United coming and you'd think Liverpool would be better and I know Arsenal fans will be screaming here saying we're getting better every year too and that is true but this year is an amazing opportunity I think everyone recognises that I think I think the other thing is Adam that's why we don't want to talk about it that's why we can't talk about it there is, <laughs> there is no title race there is no title race there's just football matches every three days and that's and that's all that's going on thank um, you <laughs> You know, when you think back to when he signed his last contract in, when was it, like summer 2020, um, I'm stealing from Amy's piece here, but he he was wearing number 77 on the back mm. of his shirt and he was an unused substitute against Norwich that day. So if you think in the space of two and a half years, the journey that he's been on as a player, you know, I think, yes, he's got a lot to give Arsenal, but I think Arsenal probably still have quite a lot to give him. Um, and this coach clearly has a huge amount to give him. He's, you know, he's learning every day under Arteta and improving under him. And I, I always think back to that game where Arsenal beat Chelsea, was it 3-1, where they had Saka, 
and I think Smith Rowe and Martinelli all played. And I remember at the time, it was it was around Christmas, watching that thinking, is this a plan or is this almost like a almost like a last throw of the dice by Arteta in terms of I've tried all these adults out, I'm now actually just going to chuck these kids in and see what they can do. With time, it looks like a genius kind of master plan. I think it was probably somewhere in the middle of, of both of those things. But I don't, I don't know what you think, Emily. If Do you think the club always saw Saka as someone that was going to be in the first team or is he someone that's surprised everyone a little bit? No, I think when you speak to the coaches who had him further down when he was a kid, he stood out in every age group. But the question that they had about him was whether his speed and his physical prowess was what was giving him the advantage because he just used to whiz past players uh, in his own age groups as a kid um, with ease. And that was their, you know, they did, they had no questions that he was an, he was an absolute, he was the star pupil. He was an immaculately behaved young man coming into the academy every day. Uh, his dad used to drive him from Ealing, which is, uh, if you don't know, you love the geography, a bit of a schlep uh, around to um, where Arsenal's academy is. And uh, he, you know, he was always on time. He was always polite. He used to sleep on the way home in the car and he did brilliantly in all his subjects at school. He's almost one of those that you think, oh, it's just not fair to be this good at everything, you know, <laughs> and this nice. Uh, but he seemed to have it all. And I think there were, you know, while you never can uh, be guaranteed about a young player, he was certainly one of, of his generation that they felt had as good a chance as any, if not better. Um, but of course, it's then about grabbing that chance when you get your opportunity. And that's what he's done so well, you know. When you think of him coming through, there was a, a sort of big push from Hairland and obviously Smithrow being with him. And you're absolutely right about that game against Chelsea, uh, Adam. That was a, a huge turning point. But in some ways, that was, at the time, the the feeling was that that was almost forced on Arteta, not necessarily a, um, a premeditated. You know, there were problems, there were injured players, there was all sorts going on, form was out the window, and it was a bit like... We've got to throw them in. And it was particularly the combination of Smithrow coming in with Saka uh, and obviously Martinelli as well, that suddenly there was this, uh, that, that, that fearlessness of youth, you know, they just, they just enjoyed themselves. They didn't carry any uh, pressure and baggage into a situation when things weren't going well. They just loved it. And um, it, it, what's amazing is that, like you say, going back to your Adnan Yanazaj uh, comparison, is that when you have these these sort of beautiful uh, arrivals, you know, coming out of the ball type of scenarios, you know, is it is it just a temporary flash of something that disappears as quickly as it arrives, or is it the real deal? And um, that level of improvement in Saka just keeping on improving and thirsting for it still, you know, if he meets legendary people in the game. He wants to ask them how he can improve. We saw we saw that with David Beckham, didn't we, during the World Cup? I think he, um, when David yeah. Beckham visited the England team during the tournament, I think there was a really nice clip where Saka actually kind of went up to him nervously saying, or oh, would you mind if we had a photo together? And David Beckham, sort of desperate for any good publicity during that tournament, was like, yes, absolutely, get in that photo. <laughs> <laughs> well, but also also with the son who's an Arsenal fan, yes. let's not forget yes. as well. Yeah. Um, have they got enough options to be able to rest him? 
every now and then. Maybe maybe he doesn't need to be rested. But you you also think, well, you're only you're only twenty one, and at some point history tells us that a young player will will it'll catch up at some point for for a period of time, and patience will be needed. Now look, he may he may prove us wrong, but um, do you think that? That will be in the minds of the Arsenal hierarchy, Amy. I think that they haven't had a chance to think like that in a way. So there's been slightly more playing him on a wing and a prayer. And there have been certain games where you thought, what is he playing in this League Cup game for? Or what is he playing in this Europa League group game for? Or why didn't he just stay at home put his feet up? Or why is he still on the pitch when you're 4-0 up? Like, take him off and give someone else a run for 20 minutes and... You know, I mean, the game the other day at Villa, where he did take a bit of a, a roughing up, um, and at one he was really limping with about fifteen to go, and everybody was saying, oh, "God!" In the crowd, it's like, "Come on, you surely!" And lo and behold, he just keeps going. Um, so I think Arteta has not been particularly minded to uh, take him off. He really is so aware of his significance on the pitch i think that if he's if his if his two legs still work he's there for now but once gabriel jesus comes back and with the arrival of leandro trossard there is now and with smithrow coming back to fitness there is genuine good quality options now it's a miracle in some ways that arsenal have been able to carry on um at the top of the league without Jesus for so long and without you know so much cover but if they can get the numbers back and there's enough trust in that whole group across the front line including you know Martinelli, Trossard, Jesus, Ketia, uh, Bukayo Saka, um, Smith-Rowe then then he can I think he can be afforded at least not having to do the full 90 minutes plus stoppage time of every match. There's a, hor- there's a horrible question to ask at, at the end here, which will do nothing but get lots of people stick, which is if if we in, if in seven years' time we're still doing this podcast and Adam is still researching brilliantly ahead of every podcast that we do uh, and Arsenal haven't won a title by then, do I just take every Harry Kane podcast that I've done for the past however long <laughs> And have a Bakaya Saka podcast. Amy's got a head in the ha- a head in her hands. Adam's probably thinking, "Crikey, I don't want to answer this." Um, I mean, you could make a similar case about Marcus Rashford, right? You know, yeah. pr- you know, what's what's he won at Man United? A couple of cups. You know, it, is that sufficient for you know the level that he's provided for the last five or six years? Uh, you know, basically, unless you've been at Man City or Liverpool for the last five or six years. That's the reality of it. And maybe that will be the reality for the next six years. We, we don't really know. Um, but I, I think the longer it goes up, you know, if Arsenal... I'd, I really don't I really don't think this will happen, Arsenal fans, but if Arsenal were to fall away this season and finish second and then go into the Champions League, that's still a brilliant season. Um, you then go into the Champions League, you start to make an impact... Like if he doesn't win a trophy for the next six years, of course there will be conversations about whether he should leave whether he should leave to go and win trophies, right? Of course there will. That's entirely normal. I think even he would probably ask those questions himself. You know, you're a driven, determined young player and you wanna win you eventually wanna win trophies. But I see 
if I was him right now, I see absolutely no reason why he can't do that at Arsenal. You know, they are a young team with a coach that's on the up, that are recruiting well, and are on, they have that momentum of recruiting well, which we see, which we've seen uh, with Liverpool in the in recent years, where once you get the first three or four right, five, six, and seven tend to be right as well because you're not chasing your tail and you're not panicking. So. I think he's in the best place and it's why you know someone at Shakhtar Donetsk asked me in January where I thought Mudrik should go for his career and I and I said I think the best move for him would be Arsenal because of the stability of the club the direction of the club the coach the relationship between the fans the players um, the manager so so I think we're a long way off those discussions but if that if that's the podcast you really want to do, Chappers, in six no, years' time, no, then, don't turn then, it. Then, then I'll join you. But if that, but look, you set, you're the one that set, that's going to be setting that up. <laughs> wow, properly turned that back on me. Final one, Amy. Please, God, end end this in a positive way. Ooh, well, I, I mean, I'm not sure how positive this is, but I was just going to say, listening to Adam talking, that. Uh, I think the thing, you know, it's so hard to predict any team being successful these days and it feels like it's getting harder than ever. And, you, you know, what are Newcastle going to be doing? What, who knows what happens to, you know, Liverpool, Man United and so on, clubs that are, are potentially up for sale and you just don't know what kind of investment is going on. It feels like there's been a period where one, only one or two teams and it was fairly miraculous for the second team to be being involved in that given what they were up against, could be winning the big stuff from the uh, you know English point of view in recent years. But you just wonder if round the corner there's just so many teams. And obviously only a certain number can win, which, which means that some players are going to be a bit unlucky and not win the stuff they deserve. Um, but... Do, do, you think, do, you think, do you think he'll be PFA Player of the Year? If Arsenal win the league... Oh, God, I've said it. You made me say that. <laughs> so unfair. Oh, no, you trapped me. I've fallen oh. into that like an idiot. Uh, no, I, I think that uh, in a winning team, his part, his role in that and his consistency of, of outstanding play would be quite hard to to argue against. But obviously, there'll be other clubs and other players that have had pretty phenomenal seasons in, in different ways. It depends what your criteria are. Is it what you do individually or is it what you do to help your team? But I don't think he could be doing much more to help Arsenal and spearhead the the new, fresh kind of uh, ambition that they have. Uh, hey, there's sorry, the, sorry, po- sorry, there's sorry. the posit- That's the positive yeah. end, Adam. Don't <laughs> no, don't no, try and lay no, another no, trap I for us. This is this is positive. I know you. I, want, I know you want to wrap it up, Amy. You wrote about Saka and a fa- an eight year old fan called Teddy. And I don't know if all listeners will know necessarily know about this. Would you mind just telling that story because it's it's so beautiful. It, it, it is a, a, a really adorable story. So after the penalty miss and the abuse that he had to take um, in the Euros, there was this massive outpouring of people that, uh, in a very old-fashioned way, took to writing letters to Saka. And it soon became apparent at the club that, you know, it wasn't just a few letters coming in. I think they ended up with about four or 5,000, possibly even more. And they felt that it was only right to open all of them and respond to all of them. And once they saw these mountains of letters, they a few um, of the lovely members of staff at the club that work behind the scenes decided to create like a, a wall 
of letters for him to come back to when he came back to training after the Euros at Arsenal. This idea of being welcomed back into, you know, his into his footballing home where everybody loved him and wanted to surround him with, uh, with comfort. So they spent all night virtually um, pinning all these letters up. And uh, when Saka came back to Arsenal uh, um, after international duty and his holidays, he was blown away to see this response. And I think it was genuinely something that helped him, uh, humbled him and made him, it made it easier for him to recover. And he was so moved. And there was one, he looked at, he read a lot of the letters, he replied to loads of them. And there was one that really, really got him where a lad called Teddy uh, had sent him, uh, I think, five pounds, his pocket money, and said, when I'm sad, I, I like to go and have an ice cream and a kickabout. So use this to go and here's some money to go and get an ice cream from the ice cream van and, and uh, you know, ha have a kickabout. They then started this friendship. Um, Bukai responded and uh, the club arranged for Teddy to come up um, he lives on the Isle of Wight and visit uh, visit Bukayo and they had an ice cream and they kick about together, which was really very sweet. And this kind of little friendship has endured where Teddy sends videos every now and again when he, you know, to Bukayo, just telling him how he's doing, what's going on with his football team, or um, if he's got a, you know, a tournament that he's won, or sending him a birthday message, anything like that. And Bukayo always sends him a reply. So this little enduring sweet thing is just, again, a bit of a a window into um, the things that go on outside of the pitch that show you what kind of a, a, a person somebody is. And he's a genuine lad and he cares about people. He's not big time. He just wants to be uh, a good guy and and enjoy his football and Teddy even knew that 99 ice creams cost five pound in Islington and there's the lovely end that we uh, that we wanted to the pod Amy Adam thank you very much subscribe today for just one pound 99 a month for a year at theathletic.com slash football pod we'll have another episode for you tomorrow but as we said at the beginning, here's a little trail from Amy's special report into the Ashburton Army. Just search for Handbrake Off from tomorrow, wherever you get your podcast, and then you'll hear the full episode. See you tomorrow. Inside the stand, the Ashburton Army make their way to the front of the clock end to set up the drums, the banners, and get ready. The team is out, and the sound of a new club anthem rolls around the ground. The Ashburton Army have written a few of their own songs. Their preference is to serenade the whole team, not individuals.
sing non-stop. There's never a second of silence. And remember that drumming I mentioned at the start? Well, it does not stop. That voice you can hear conducting the beat, shouting instructions and encouragement non-stop, that's Lewis. Back turned from the match and towards the AA, he galvanises the troops. It is relentless. stops, when the singing pauses, when there's a held breath. The crowd in unison anticipates something. A ball fizzed into the box and... As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.